once upon a time, and we, we're just going to start this story, in the, in the days that the judges judge. Now that actually starts this book under storm clouds. You see, the irony of the judges judging was that in, that, in those times there was difficulty obtaining justice. Uh, the, the, they were dark times, there was no king, and so everyone just did what they wanted. Each generation seemed to go through this cycle of rebellion against God, which would result in curse as a judgment from God, and so then generally God's people would cry out for mercy, and he'd send this judge to save them, and then it would start all over again. And so when we read here in verse 1 next, once upon a time, judges, there was a famine in the land. It puts us at that point in the cycle where there had been no justice, no faithfulness to God, and covenant curse is coming in. Now, the, we, we often get like the hero version of this, like the king's interactive version of this, but, but it means real things for real people on the ground. And our characters here aren't the generals leading the battles. They're normal people like you and me who just get caught up in the politics and the decisions that other people make, a family caught up in the mess. Now, first we meet Elimelech, whose name means, my God is king. Hey, he sounds like he's going to be a good guy, right? Uh, then we get his wife, Naomi, which means pleasantness. That's a nice name for a girl. And, for, and for, at least for the main ch first chapter, she, sort of, she plays a fair part. And then their sons, Mahlon and Kilion. Now, they are natives, Right. So where they come from, Bethlehem and Ephrathah, this, this is the family farm, okay? Uh, the, the, this is their God-given inheritance, a spiritual connection. But things have got bad enough that they felt they needed to leave even from that place. L like the place that you feel like you can't leave, they left Bethlehem. Literally, the house of bread, Beit Lechem. That they left the house of bread because there was none. To head east to Moab. Ge geographically, they just have to walk around the Dead Sea sort of thing, right? To get to the other side to Moab. But it, it, it's sort of um, on the way to Babylon at east. Now, Moab's a weird choice, right? For, for an Israelite, at least. Moabites are the descendants of Lot, so if you're thinking back through the history, you've got Abraham, Abram who leaves Ur and gets called by God to come and he's going to be the father of this, lots of nations really, but this nation of Israel. But he brings with him his nephew Lot and uh, uh, he is the, Lot is actually the patriarch of the Moabites. And the relationship between the two nations plays out like cousins who compete with each other. Not the, not the good cousins you like, but that annoying cousin who sort of always picks and prokes and prods and you're sort of a little bit sort of scared of and don't quite like. And the Israelites have a stigma about the Moabite women, particularly being unwholesome. Probably a hangover, if you'll pardon the pun, from the story about Lot's daughters deliberately getting their father drunk in order to, uh, when they're stuck alone in a cave, in order to be able to have kids to continue a family line. So there's, there's all sort of yuckiness in their minds when they think of Moabites. So from the house of bread in the promised land given to them by Yahweh, to a generally, well, spiritually, poorly thought of place. Like, you see how this is a big call from Elimelech to move the family there. Like, a, there must have been something big. Like, the, 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 the famine must have been severe. Well, I mean, does your behavior change when you're hungry? 
And I suspect most of us haven't ever known real day-to-day subsistence hunger like these guys. What if there was a proper famine? And you think, well, who here wouldn't make a decision that pragmatically seemed like the only way to take care of their family? Would you? It just looks for all the world like that's what you have to do. Even if spiritually it sort of might seem like there's a sacrifice you had to make. Anyway, so they head to Moab and they settle there. But Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with only her sons. Now that's got to be sad for Naomi and, and difficult in a foreign place. But the story, it, it moves like mercilessly on. It's, it's um, oh, sorry, we're going too far. Um, the, um, where are we? So, so the, the very next sentence we've got from uh, Elimelech dying. The next sentence, Naomi's boys marry Moabite girls, Orpah and Ruth. And then the next sentence, the sons die. Like this escalates very quickly. And, and, and yes, it's tragic. And, and I think even this early on, you are meant to feel for Naomi and Orpah and Ruth quite a bit. But it covers uh, two weddings and three funerals, 10 years in two sentences. The speed at which it's told, it's like you're actually supposed to consider this backstory. You get the feeling that now, this story actually never was about Elimelech at all, whatever we might think of his decision. The story's actually all about Naomi. And now she's left without her husband and her sons. So it's sort of, it's less two and a half men and more Gilmore girls. Okay, so you've got Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Now you can tell that they're the true main characters because they're the first ones whose words are actually important enough to record and we start to get conversations. When Naomi heard that the Is- in Moab that the Israelite God, Yahweh, has come to his people's aid and that there's food on offer again, she gets up with her daughters-in-law to return home. And she says to them, she tells the girls, return to your mother's house. Each of you, go home to your mum. But as they go, she tells the girls, well, like, she's going to pray for them. May May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Apparently they've been pretty good daughters in law. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of of another husband. It's a beautiful, faithful prayer for God's blessing. They must have been great to her, and she seems like uh, someone who, who, who really cares about, knows that God is the source of blessing. She understands this theologically, and she, and she cares about that for these girls. But even with this prayer, when their mother-in-law tells them, hey, you, return... They say, no, we're going to return. Hold on, what? She tells them to return. They say, no, we're going to return. Yeah, but we're going to return with you. We're going to return with, to you, to your people. But then Naomi says to them, uh, hold on, let's make sure you're the right one. But then Naomi, yeah, then Naomi says to them, no, you return. Return, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I'm clearly not preggers. 
let's just say there's not much hope probably that I'm ever going to be. No, return, my daughters, go your way. Look, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait till they grew up? Would you remain unmarried waiting for them? No, my daughters. Now, we do get a little bit of a glimpse here of where Naomi's heart is at in this moment. Do you see how she says, it's more bitter for me than for you? Sure. We've been through all our grief together. It's it's even worse for me than for you because Yahweh hasn't turned against you. But he's turned on me though. It's the first moment where you wonder about Naomi's thoughts and attitude. You think, well, well, they lost their husbands too. And even if you don't explain that as Yahweh turning against them, well, doesn't it mean that the, their Moabite God has turned against them? Like, like why are you so much worse off? Why, why do you get to be more bitter? And Orpah sees her point. Orpah sees the point, the, the pragmatics of it. Much like Eli made the pragmatic sort of, sort of decision, look, just looks like the food's there, we've got to go where the food is, otherwise we starve, yeah, we've just got to do it. Um, Orpah sees what? She loves Naomi too, uh, but it, it, it just doesn't make sense to continue on with this. She'd be an outcast in Israel. She'd have no support network. The only support she has, Naomi, well, she's got no prospects. Like, like Naomi's not wrong. It's actually better for her just to go home to mum and dad's. And so she kisses, mom, kisses Naomi goodbye after the tears, all appropriate, all seems as wise and as good as you could imagine, and just goes home and does the sensible thing, the common sense thing. But Ruth just won't. She just won't. Ruth clings to Naomi. It's, like the, it's actually the same word as for a husband clinging to his wife in marriage in Genesis. She clings to Naomi. She tells Naomi, you stop telling me not to come. Stop telling me not to come. And this has got to be one of the most beautiful, beautiful Statements of friendship and commitment that has ever been said. I want you to stop and imagine a friend saying this to you. So I can get there. Click out of work again. Don't know what's all of a sudden stopped. You flick forward to slide for me, Lachlan. Thanks. Don't know what's going on there. Whoa. I haven't even. There we go. Thank you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people, they're mine now. They'll be my people. Your God, whoever it is you worship, that's going to be my God. Where you die, that's where I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. Because you know what's going to sep- you know in the end what's going to separate us to? Death. That's what's going to separate us to. Ain't going to be nothing else. What commitment. What a beautiful statement. What a, what a loyalty and a thing to have with someone. What a, man. She binds herself to Naomi with an oath, an oath on Naomi's God, Yahweh. Now, Ruth's seen what, what Yahweh can do. As far as, the, as Naomi's understanding of this, Yahweh has, she's lost her husband to Yahweh's commitment to, to punish severely. 
Yahweh's going to have to do that to me if we're going to be parted, she says to Naomi. I'm with you. You've got me. If nothing else, you've got me. It is just, it's magical. It's storybook stuff. And the, just, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, it says she stopped urging her, and that, that's, a, that's a true sense of it. But the basic word she says is, she stopped talking to her. Like, how do, you, how do you not respond to that? I mean, I know she's bitter. I know she's down. I know she's depressed. I know it's hard. Like, this is... But, man, imagine... imagine uh, like, like, it seems to be such a big deal. I, I don't know if it is in real life, but on the TV shows, and of course they really match real life, if someone says, I love you, and the, other, and the, 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 the sort of, you know, the boyfriend or the girlfriend says, thanks... <laughs> And you don't respond with the I love you back. Um, it's a big deal, and that's, that causes the tension for at least another series or two. You know? and, and, and literally here, though, Naomi just stops speaking and walks off. Not walks away from Ruth, but with Ruth. But you get a sense of where Naomi must be at. So they go. They go. And, and Naomi returning causes a stir. Now, I don't know if you know what it's like to be in a town where everyone knows everyone and gossip gets around, but the, the women of the town, the whole town, they see these two rock up and they say, is this, is this, this Naomi? Naomi's back. The, the gossip mill just sort of starts to go. The stir gets risen up and, and everyone's talking. And when Naomi gets in, they say, this is, this is Naomi, this is Naomi, this is Naomi. And she says, don't you call me Naomi. Doesn't even want to keep her beautiful name anymore. No, you call me, call me Mara. It's the same name as Mary or Maria. Can I just suggest, which means bitterness. Can I just suggest that you don't, if you know a Mary or Maria this, this week and see them, don't lead with this comment that her name means bitterness. May not be so good socially. Uh, but, but this, uh, that, uh, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Sorry, different translation, sorry. She's very, very upset. But she's returned, verse 22. She has returned. Did you notice how many times we've had that word? I tried, you don't see it in every English translation, but I tried to have it on the screen, highlighted in the verse. It's, it's, it's I think, around 10 times in less verses than that. We're going to pick that up through the, the whole of the book. But Naomi returns. And Ruth, the Moabite daughter with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Harvest. That's a nice time of, that's a nice time to return. She says, oh, I've come back empty, but she's returning at harvest. There's this, there's this note of hope. There's this beautiful, in the midst of, of loss and, and nothing, and God, what have you done to me? 
which, yes, she's very theological about it, but we only get her reporting to other people about what God's done to her and her talking about it, not her talking to God about it. And yet there is this beautiful, just there's this germ of a seed of hope that we finished with here. It may not end all so badly. Cliffhanger ending warning. Right. Now, we, we, we don't get a page full of commandments here in this story, do we? It's, it's, it's not like it's easy to just be like, all right, well, okay, go away and uh, do unto others as you have them do to you or something like that. It's not, it's, not, it's not how the story works. But there are really powerful gospel patterns here for us to pick up on examples and things that we see played out in the New Testament in Jesus' ministry because all of these things, this is one of the books that while most beautifully sits back in time, way back in the time of the Judges, most beautifully then ministers to people in between Judges and Jesus and then actually points, people, points us forward and then even again back to Jesus well after the event. It does it so beautifully. And I just want to pick up three patterns of the gospel here to guide us as we walk with Jesus. The first one. Things are not as bad as they seem. They just pretty much aren't. The thing is, there is actually blessing that you have which has been uncounted. Uh, Naomi has a lot still. She says she comes to come back empty, but it's actually not true. I want you to imagine being Ruth, standing around on the side of the conversation, while Naomi says, I've come back empty, I've got nothing. Ruth's like, what am I, chopped liver? Like, seriously, am I nothing to you? Far out. As time goes on, we kind of see Ruth's a lot, lot more than nothing to Naomi. As time goes on, we see that there's even a number of God's provisions in his laws, in the laws of the land, in the way the land functions, in Israel itself and the society that's there that God has produced around his righteous and good laws and word that actually also provide for Naomi. In huge ways. She is far from empty in truth, and yet... If you have been through times of utter darkness like this, you can totally understand that she feels completely empty because that's what it's like. Your vision narrows and you end up like this. And you see only what's lost. And you see only the hurt. And it's so hard to see the rest. And so stories like this that are both understandable on the one hand and yet you see, the, you see from the outside because you're watching on, it's easy for you, you're not in the story, are so helpful for us when we're in the tunnel vision to say, actually, no, there will be blessings here that I'm missing. Things are not as bad as they seem. They just aren't. If you're a Christian, you have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. You could not be closer to God. It's not possible. It's not possible for God to be more friendly towards you. It is not possible for God to love you, love you any more than what he does. It is not possible for God to have any intention towards you of more positivity, to, 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 to be any like, uh, less, to, to any more have brought you into his in own internal life than what has happened. You have his spirit within you. You are friends with him. Your, the price has been paid for your sins. You are his holy person. You are his priest towards the rest of humanity. You are elevated as a royal son, daughter of the king. Like, like there is nothing that you don't have in relationship with him that he can offer you. And so at the absolute least, even though there will surely be more uncounted blessings, 
Well, Christians always have everything in the gospel. Number one, things aren't as bad as they seem. Number two, the path to fullness for the Christian is actually through emptiness. This is the normal pathway of the gospel, actually. You see it in Jesus. Jesus walked this path. In Philippians chapter 2, you see it. May everyone have the same, uh, the same mindset as of Christ, who, though he was the Son of God, had all this stuff, became as nothing, emptied himself. That word there, emptied himself, took on the very nature of a servant. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place. This is actually how the Christian life works. Because it's not just what Jesus did, it's also what Jesus said for his people to do. He said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you notice here that he's not saying some Christians will have to lose their life for me and that will be a special glory to them. He says, no, if you are trying to save your life, you'll lose it. If that's what you're after, self-preservation, ironically, you will lose your life. But if anyone trusts me, he says, oh, no, I'm willing to give it up. I'm willing to give I'm going to put, I'm going to put myself in the God boat. And if, if God's plans and purposes, if that boat fails, I fail. But if, but if it succeeds, then I'll find life. That, that's, that's the path for every Christian. You see, Elimelech had a decision to make. Uh, and the decision that he made changed the course of things for him. It didn't end well for him. He, he, his, he, he went for the pragmatic. This is what looks like it just makes. It's just common sense. You just have to do this. And Jesus says, stop trying to save your life. Because you know, God, the way to fullness is actually through emptiness. Start actively trying to give up your life for Jesus if you have not done that yet. Because that is, the, that is the only way. There is no other way. That is the Christian way. Jesus says it himself. Number two. And number three, people trust people, trust people first and then their God. Did you notice the weird thing about Ruth that I would have expected, right? The, the thing that I would have expected in the story was, um, oh, I've seen your God, Naomi. I've prayed to him. We've started to get some connection. I've, I've, I've looked at some of the laws that you guys have, the ways that he thinks people should be treated. He's, I like him. He's good. If you're going to follow that God, then I'm going, if that's where you're going back to him, I'm going with you. But that's not what she says. She says, no, 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 I'm going with you. You're the person. And whoever that God of is that you follow, yeah, yeah, I'll take him as well. But yeah, no, it's you. I'm sticking with you. And, and, and you know, like, like that God of yours, you know, who, who, who's taken, you know, our husbands from us. Yeah, he can do the same to me if I, don't, if I don't stick with you. There's this funny thing that God seems to do where people trust people and then through that end up trusting in God. It's happening out there right now as those kids grow to trust the caring, safe, like trained to make sure we're not taking advantage of them, safe work that are, what's tonight? So it's tonight's Mel and Michelle, but it's, it's you know, Hannah and Hannah and, and everyone else in the Greens or other weeks. 
they, they are growing in trust for those people. And those kids also, every single day, if they're your children, they are growing in trust in you as you prove yourself trustworthy and as you care for them generously, as you, all the parents that I know of here, so generous, want the best for their kids and sacrifice themselves for their kids. They trust in their parents and they do just seemingly end, to tr- end up trusting in the God that their parents live for and trust in. Now, partly that does for us as parents and as educators of, of kids at little souls, partly that does mean that we've got to be careful to make sure that we are actually not living to protect ourselves and for our own lives, but actually sacrificing our lives for Jesus so that, that, so that they end up following the God that we actually trust practically, because they will trust, they'll follow the God we trust practically. If, it, if, it's, if it's pragmatic wisdom, that's actually our God, then, then they'll learn to follow that one too, remember? So no, we, 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 we're willing to give up our lives in order to save our life, in order to have Jesus save us. Because the funny thing is that people tend to trust people first and then that person's God. And, 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 and I mean, this is the, the actually... Yes, this is true, right? And this is one of the things that I think we don't do as Christians enough. And I wanted to say it to, that Paul's willing to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's willing to say, hey, watch me. Watch me if you want to know how to follow Jesus. Watch me if you want to be like Christ. And so he's willing to say that. But at the same time, this funny thing, right? I was just talking to Mark about this the other day at, um, at the men's convention. And we were just like, we don't know what it was about Naomi that meant that she ended up trusting in God. Like, I mean, yet, like Naomi prayed for her. She obviously was God would. She, she, she talked about God. She, she recognized God is in control of all of these things. My God really is the one in charge of the world. She, so so she, she modeled this faithfulness and goodness, but she also modeled this, this bitterness and like that God's not really good as a good God. And, and, and we just don't know what it was. It was probably quite an imperfect, but yet beautiful and awesome modeling of being a follower of the God of Israel. And we just, we just don't know what it was about it. And I think there's the last little thing I just want to say with, with this is that I, when, I'm, when I'm not going well within myself, if I'm having a time where it's hard to trust in God or I feel like I've not been obedient as I ought or something like that, I don't, I don't want to share that with my non-Christian friends because I'll be a bad example to them, right? Or, or the, God won't seem that good. If I'm not coping in life or I'm not kicking butt or something like that, why would they want to? Well, I'm not going to tell them. Like, I'm, not, I'm not very good advertisement for Jesus then. I once had, a, I once had a, um, a, one of Mel's kids from school, back in the day she was a school teacher, she was trying to you know, minister to and evangelize, um, introduce me to her friends. And she said, oh, oh hey, this is Pete. He's a, he's a gateway drug to Jesus, um, was, was the way that she described me. And, and, but I... I don't know how effective. I don't know how. I don't know where that girl's up to with Jesus, and I wonder if I wonder if one of the things that we do is that we only want to sort of be an example of a Jesus follower when things are going well, or otherwise our friends won't want to become a Christian, and that's a bit dumb. God, God Naomi right now is bitter and depressed. And you're like, oh, I'm bitter and depressed, <laughs> and I'm a Christian. Like, oh, I can't really, can't really do evangelism. Well, like, well, she, she's fine here. 
And, and, what, and what would that say? Let's say your friend becomes a Christian because, because you've just always portrayed, it's only when I'm going well with God or only when I feel God's blessing, only when I really trust in Him and things are going great. That's the only time I talk about it and other times it's... So what are they going to think about God when they become a Christian? What God are they following? The God who only has good times and the God who only accepts followers who don't have problems. That's not, that's, that's not real. I'm producing the wrong kind of Christian too. So I don't know exactly what that means, but I suspect it means we can be much more honest with ourselves with our, and with our non-Christian friends and more honest in our evangelistic and just normal spiritual conversations in our everyday lives with non-Christian friends than what we are. Because here, God works through people for people to trust Him. Through even Naomi in her downtime for Ruth, as we'll see, to bring out something incredible in the long term. What have we got? Things aren't as bad as they seem. To follow God is to be willing to give up your life rather than trying to save it, because that is how you will save it. And that people trust people first and then they're God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Ruth as a story. Thank you for Ruth as an example of a beautiful loyalty and generosity and service and faithfulness and a blessing to someone who really needed a blessing. Lord, we want to thank you that you gave this Moabite woman to the grieving Hebrew woman. I want to thank you for the story of uh, the inside life of, of women in those times. Father, my first, my first instinct is to preserve myself. And it seems to make sense. And yet, Lord, you tell us that's not the best way. That's not the way that's going to preserve my life. And so, Father, please, I pray for myself. I pray for us all that we would hear Jesus' words. As Jesus says that he who seeks to save his life will lose it and he who gives up his life in order for my sake will find it, that we believe him, trust that in life. That in those decisions we would not be thinking about, um, thinking about the pragmatics first. Of course we're going to think about them. But Father, that we would think about how it is that we are laying down our life to serve you first. And then think about the pragmatics towards that end. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.